0: Steve, what's up, dude? A Healthy Dose is a bi weekly podcast hosted by Steve Krauss, healthcare partner at Bessemer Venture Partners, and Trevor Price, CEO of Oxygen Partners.
1: Talks, but it don't sing and dance and it
0: don't walk. The guys talk to leaders from various aspects of healthcare and cover personal stories, entrepreneurship, investing, and have a few laughs, many at each other's expense
2: well we both enjoy the art of the conversation we both have faces that are made for radio so the at least eyebrows for me <laughs> double chin for me <laughs> we get a lot of ones right
0: but we get a lot of ones wrong one
2: of the most interesting conversations i've had in a long time
0: and if you pardon me i'd like to say
2: So for Healthy Dose podcast listeners, we'll give you a little tip. Steve and I end up doing certain events, and we line up three or four podcasts to record all at once, and then we obviously space them out. And for those who were wondering what happened, we take the month of August off and get a little break from each other. Well, anybody who
0: sees us knows that we're fully tanned. (laughs) (laughs) Totally.
2: totally mine from a tanning booth yeah
0: mine from a couple (laughs) rounds of golf but
2: anyway so we did record this podcast with amir dan rubin the ceo of one medical at the health conference yeah a couple months ago and subsequent to that and you'll see in the podcast i asked a question around why walmart doesn't buy one medical well we learned that private equity they raised a
0: billion dollars or some huge number yeah
2: they did a massive round of funding we didn't have an opportunity to cover that with amir so We did cover a lot about a pretty remarkable career and how he's gotten to do what he's doing now at one medical and what motivates him and i think he's a remarkable executive but we didn't get a chance to touch on that yeah a unique individual who's been an executive in one of the best
0: health systems in the country stanford
2: yeah and ucla and
0: and ucla memorial herman and then moved to become an executive at optum one of the you know largest healthcare it i guess it's a a conglomerate in in healthcare, and now is leading one of the most interesting growth stage healthcare companies out there in and one medical.
2: You, with all, I mean, in all Kenner, you can see his big company training. Yeah, like he handled our questions. Yeah, we could not break. Him. We could not break him. No, he's a pro. All right, enjoy the podcast with me or Dan Rubin. Amir, since One Medical only today operates in certain cities, and obviously our listenership is across country, can you, for their understanding, give them a sense of what One Medical is and what you guys are trying to do?
1: Well, One Medical is a member-based, technology-powered, national primary care organization that's focused on transforming healthcare. What do we mean by that? So we have members, people sign up as members. We are founded by our founder, Tom Lee, Direct-to-consumer, people would sign up for membership. Increasingly, our members are sponsored by employers. We have over 1,100 companies now who sponsor membership. So we're member-based, employer-sponsored. We're technology-powered. We build all of our own software, so we really have really great member access, frictionless access to our lovely, well-appointed offices, which are convenient to where people work, shop, and live, and also click, and we have digital or virtual care available within a minute or two to speak to a provider or to message providers. So member-based and poor sponsored, technology-powered, national
2: primary care organization. How many employed docs you have? Uh, we have several hundred. I've been a one medical member for five years now. And I think for most people listening to this, they probably think of a very specific experience they have with their primary care practice, which is, it's usually a nondescript office. They show up, you don't Pay anything to get access to it. You oftentimes have to wait weeks or months to see your doctor. You go in, you pay your copay, and you get whatever services. Can you explain that process as compared to the One Medical process? Sure. So at One
1: Medical, we participate with all participating insurers. And so Visits are billed to insurers. And then we have a membership fee on top of that for non-covered benefits. And we have unlimited digital and virtual access. So the membership fee is around 15, 20 bucks a month. Same day appointments, right? Same day appointments, next day appointments. We have a 90% net promoter score. So when you get on the app, if you want a provider, you're talking to them within a few minutes or video. When you're messaging your provider, you typically get a response within a couple hours. And we're leveraging technology to get these quicker response times. It really is kind of an enlightened service model. It is longitudinal primary care. There is a relationship. Pardon me. I got to ask a financial question. Of Trevor, course. Trevor
0: obviously knows this is my role. Now, so um, primary care is vitally important, right? And we all know that. But it's also kind of a, I think, a shitty business to be in. And my understanding of the unique Financial model of one medical is the fact that you're you're obviously charging fee for service or what have you for you know visits, but then you get this membership model. You know this membership dues. That's you know two hundred dollars on top of your average
1: visit. Is that what allows you to do a lot of the extra things that you know you do for your customers? It's partly that, and we've also redesigned the workflow. So we've taken out a layer of staffing in our clinics. We oh, don't have medical assistants. We really? have a national. Nope. We have a national virtual medical team. As I said before, you're not getting a response in two hours from your off-the-mill, off-the-street provider, even if it was a high-end concierge They're with their patients. We have programmers, we have machine learning, reading those messages, categorizing that, having teams of people follow up. So we have built a technology-enabled company to deliver this differentiated
2: service. And is that the technology, obviously some of its messaging, I think you alluded to televisits. Can you talk a little bit about where you're seeing utilization in telemedicine how telemedicine is impacting your practice and you know people are obviously talking a lot about the teledocs of the world and yet not sure people necessarily understand where there's actual feet on the street utilization for what types of conditions and how people are using it i was actually
1: just with an employer account the other day where we have extremely high penetration <laughs> we have 75 percent of their employees wow. uh, in this middle-sized company using one medical and on average they're seeing a couple of visits and a couple of telehealth engagements per year. For us, and that's the neat thing about being membership, we don't care if you visit, message, email, text, chat, video. It's about helping members achieve their health goals, you know, improve their
2: health and well being. So for us, it's very much part of a relationship model. But but you've used the word longitudinal a couple of times now, like Most people have a longitudinal relationship with their primary care doc, right? That's actually not the case. There is a big group that don't have
1: longitudinal. Certainly when you think of a lot of growth in consumer-based care, whether it's the virtual care or the urgent cares, it's actually intentionally not longitudinal. Those models do not want, and you cannot see your urgent care provider the next time as your primary care provider. I
0: have a longitudinal, we might just be older, Trevor. I have a longitudinal
1: relationship with my doc uh, Dr.
0: David Rubin, but he's, I've been with him for like 10 years, but it's still hard to get into him. I admit like, you know, he knows me, he likes me. We have a personal relationship, but still I can call up and he can't see me for three weeks. So I, I
1: totally see well, that. Well, we point. have people who have other primary care providers and are using us. And then ultimately As we become like a... there because they got us through their employer. And then they're like, Oh, I'll just use you. L- let me ask one question on
0: this point. The average American sees their primary care physician how many times a year? Averages are funny numbers, but let's say a couple times a year. Couple times, and what is it for one medical? Is that Same. different? Same?
1: Same. So it's not actually more visits, it's just? Well, but we have you know, at least that on the virtual on top of it, so we have more interactions. More interactions, okay. The friction in healthcare is significant, whether it's insurance, whether it's access, whether it's follow-up, whether it's referrals, and by making that as simple as possible and as service oriented as possible, we can engage people. And it, again, it doesn't have to be in a visit, right? It can be digitally. We risk stratify our population. We send them out reminders. We're following up. We were talking about this before, You know, whether it's a mammogram or kind of HEDIS measures, You know, these are things that we can do since we have data on a population. We're now doing this with employers. Hey, how about this? Well, I don't know. Well we'll arrange it, how about tomorrow, how about tonight, how about now? Oh, okay, that's a different process of acting on something.
0: That- I, I said something earlier, which I don't know if you agree with number one, and two, maybe it was a little bit harsh, but I said that primary care is kind of a, a shitty business. That, and I, I say that meaning that I think it's vitally important, and I think it's sort of been looked upon, or not looked upon, and sort of ignored in our system. Is, is that a fair statement writ large in society? And if, if that is
2: true, Why is that? Can I just add a couple of those before you? So like, one of the things that I talk about is historically, coming out of medical school, people seem to gravitate towards many of the subspecialty and surgical specializations, primary cares known to having lower compensation in a fee-for-service world versus a value-based world. I'd love to add to Steve's question and get your thoughts on in a value-based world, which would be interesting to see how one medical plays in that. The primary care doc becomes the quarterback quarterback. of the steerage mechanism to get patients to specific smart points of care. And so I'd love to just hear your thoughts on the evolving place of the primary care doc. Yeah, no, I think those are great questions.
1: For us, it's a great business. It's an exciting business. And clearly in a traditional fee for service world where reimbursements were based off of, if you go back to Medicare, RBRVS, based on costs in a cost buildup model, the more expensive specialties were reimbursed higher amounts. And so on a pure cost or spend basis, primary care is 6% of the US healthcare spending. It drives a much bigger proportion of of downstream spending, probably 50% of spending. So getting the economic model to account for the impact that primary care can have certainly is a giant lever. and, And that's why you're seeing whether it's health systems, health plans, the one medicals of the world investing big in primary care. We do drive that downstream. We do have capitation. We do
2: have ACO relationships. We do have game sharing. What percentage of your business is, is in those what I'll call new reimbursement models off
1: the street. Almost everything is, but that doesn't mean that the revenues are necessarily significant enough. You know, we have a unique business because we have different ways to develop relationships. We have health plan relationships. We have health system relationships. We have employer relationships. So we have multiple, we have direct-to-consumer relationships, we have the membership fee relationships. so for us it's pretty exciting because we can go in any of those and have in any of those directions in terms of primary care, but back to your broader question, for us it's an absolutely exciting place to be because we can really help improve health and well-being. And to your other question, we're taking down total cost of care, we have demonstrated with plans and employers that we can take in an 18 month period down total cost of care five to six percent
0: from the direct work that you do in your four walls or from actual sort of
1: not having inappropriate care and appropriate referrals all the above i mean and that comes from the direct work in our four walls so if you have a highly accessible 24 7 available salaried, non-fee-for-service non-ancillary driven model which is what we are yeah with great frictionless access with 90% net promoter score. It absolutely works. And we can capture that and we can capture some of the benefits of that. And there's multiple ways that we do that. So it absolutely works. We curate our referral networks. We default generic drugs into our EHR. We have best practice guidelines. I mean, people don't, they see, oh, you just have this great service. It must be easy. I mean, this company has been around for over a decade, right? When I first met Tom, it was. Took a piece of paper and said, start from scratch. Let's give people what they want and let's build everything around it. And, and so the concepts sound easy, but that's what makes it hard to do. So we have our own operating system, our clinics run different, our tech runs different, our comp models are different, our rates and our membership fee is
2: different. Do you have a rough sense of the percentage of your quote unquote payer mix? Like it's largely commercial, I would just think insurance. There's gotta be some percentage of Medicare. This would appeal to a Medicare, a Medicare Advantage population because of accessibility, I'm assuming, relatively low Medicaid penetration, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's largely commercial because we're selling to importers, yeah. so we're growing enterprise sales, but we have Medicare Advantage, we have exchange, we're participating with all the plans basically in all their products, but most of our growth is we are selling to employers. But our model can serve all populations. Who
2: do you see your competitors as being?
1: I mean, I see my competitors as the broken U.S. healthcare system because at at our core, our mission is to transform healthcare. I think in a nice way, you know, my competitors are also our collaborators and supporters. So consumers love us because we deliver this great access. Employers and payers like us because we have a salaried, non-ancillary, non kind of fee-for-service oriented mindset. Providers like us, because we really address provider burnout. Specialists in hospitals like us, even if they have their own primary care,
2: because ultimately people do need referrals, and so we use them. Why do you say non-fee-for-service? Because your physicians are not paid on RVUs? Correct. No, they they have have no ancillary
0: We obviously think this is a really interesting business at Bessemer, but... You love Medicare and Medicaid, Trevor, but Amir made the point that the commercial members that visit them are very valuable to a lot of different stakeholders. Totally, From like an actual referral perspective, right? I get it. So it's actually a pretty interesting partner to partner with if you're a health
2: system, right? Yeah, in a health systems have to love the referral network for Yeah, and if
1: you're a health plan and you want to sell big enterprise accounts, what's your net promoter score?
2: Yeah. Mine's 90.
1: (laughs) So you want to partner with me and go sell any large and poor. And we have some of the most premier brand names. Is 90 the best in healthcare do you know? I can't speak to others, but it's, it's pretty, good. pretty off the charts. <laughs> yeah.
2: So let's talk about Tom. Tom is an amazing visionary, was the founder of Hippocrates before One Medical. Is a physician, just a totally unique mind who built this business for as you said, the first 10 years or whatever the time has been as a CEO and in many situations, the chief medical officer as well, given that he's a physician. We want to talk about your background to getting to One Medical, but just talk about that relationship, stepping in and kind of taking over, you know, the baby, so to speak, from the founder. I mean, it's actually been
1: great. And, you know, Tom and I have known each other now for about a decade. So when I was in a previous job, I was the CEO at Stanford's healthcare system and a Stanford board member, who was also an investor in One Medical, said, hey, do you wanna meet this, this company we just invested in? And the founder, Tom, Lee. I said, yeah, that would be great. So I met Tom at the time. I thought it was a great idea. And at Stanford at the healthcare system, I said, let's invest. So we actually invested in the company and had that same notion, gee, this would be good to have some of these around us because this would be a good source of, of patients for us. And so Tom and I have known each other Since that time, really, it was kind of a a natural alignment there. Obviously, knowing the company, knowing Tom, Tom knowing me. So, that's been nothing but great. And just as it ends out, I think some of the things that Tom believed in, and as reflected in our company, are, are things I've deeply believed in. So, I've always felt that having a great patient experience is at the core. And when I was at UCLA, we brought our caps or patient experience scores from about the 30th percentile to the 99th in the U.S. At Stanford, we did about the same. We are about the 37th percentile. We went to the 96th percentile on patient experience in the U.S. All hospitals, not academic, not teaching. just. Can we double click on
0: that for a second? Sure. I don't mean to digress, but like how is a system leader, you know, UCLA, Stanford, those are big, slow moving, you know, systems. How do you actually, how do you get them to move like that? You said in a year's time?
1: Well, I was there for several years, but we, yeah, at Stanford we were probably able to raise those scores probably in 18 months. UCLA took us a few years. So like, how do you do that as CEO? Uh, I think in terms of helping guide an organization in three buckets, I call it strategic alignment and deployment, and that's a fancy word for saying, what are our goals, and how does that cascade through the entire organization, and is everybody aligned on that? And it doesn't mean the goals are set from the top, it means what are we working on, do we know what that means, and do I know what that means, Second bucket is improvement and innovation. Just because we have a goal doesn't mean the processes are designed to achieve that goal. They're usually not. And so fundamental kind of lean and design thinking is is I think core to my approaches and in software development, agile kind of lean applied to software development. And we use these approaches at One Medical. I've used them throughout my career. And the third is to sustain and continuously improve on that. I call that active daily management. So if you have a practice, how do you hire? How do you onboard? How do you train? What does the process look like? How do you huddle each day? How do you reinforce? How do you have teams working on continuous improvement? We want good quality. We want good service. We want good cost. Oh, nothing in the process is designed to do that or in the incentives. And by the way, each and every day, we have no approaches to sustain that. And so whether it was at UCLA or at Stanford or at Optum or at One Medical, you know, that's what we're doing here. And so-, so-
0: you know, you have an amazing vantage point in that you've obviously been a COO at a Health System UCLA, CEO at Stanford, great system, Optum, one of the largest, you know, United, the, the behemoth, the payer, now CEO of a really, you know, venture back row stage, innovative company. So, what a great background. Not a doctor, you told us, which, which Trevor was mistaken about. So people, you're so good, people mistake you as a doctor. But I, I, I could collect your copay though. If but, you know. but I'm curious, like where, did, like, where did it start? Like, how did you, did you know early on you wanted to be a doctor? Take us back to the beginning. No, or to, I, not a doctor, sorry, a, a healthcare leader. No,
1: I fell into this, you know, my parents came to this country from Israel. That's have the name Amir. My, my joke is my sister was orally. Amir was fresh off the boat, and the third kid got Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. I went to college at UC Berkeley in Northern California and I was like all right I'm an American I'm gonna study business and economics and my dad's an engineer he's like study engineering I'm like no I want business I had no idea what that meant and I need an elective my junior year at Cal and the class that fit into my schedule was this class called health economics like health economics what's that and that opened my eyes. Seriously? So that's seriously how I got into the field. Wow. Take us back, it's so interesting, I love, I love people's stories. What clicked in that class? Well, you know, I had, I had always done kind of community service. I had volunteered and volunteered in hospitals and other organizations. Um, but what I saw was, here's a field that, you know, is addressing everybody, and at the time, it was some unsustainable spend of 10% of GDP. Right. Nobody was actually concerned at the time with quality or service, but it was, insurance access and spend, you know, and now we've shot through 18% of GDP. And and so it was really an area that, you know, was gonna touch the lives of everybody and it was not working. And frankly, from an economics perspective, there was a lot of interesting modeling in terms of, you know, what's working here or what's failing and, and why does it fail? And I went to University of Michigan, and I did an MBA and a master's in health administration, met my wife, Nicole, there. So it was a very productive few years. That's a good and, few years. Yeah, and I was always, you know, trying to take her out for a beer, but she'd never leave the library, so I probably got the best grades of my life just sitting there waiting for her to finish studying. But uh, then after that, uh, went to work for a consulting firm, APM, uh, back a Pretty in legendary
2: group of alumni from APM, right? Yeah,
1: great group, wonderful people. But yeah, that's what got me into healthcare, and I feel very privileged to be in the field. I've been very fortunate to work at great organizations with wonderful people, and I think underlying all of it is you're dealing with some of the most, you know, intimate, sacred moments in people's lives, things they don't share with their family members. And they're basically coming to you as strangers and trusting you. And so to me, from a management perspective, if you will, it's a great responsibility. You know, we, we literally have people's health and well being, So we need to support our providers. We need to support our caregivers. We need to support our team. Uh, if we have bad and cumbersome processes and bad experience, you know that's on us. We're we're giving bad care from a management perspective, and so the f- flipping it around, boy, you could really help people increase their well-being, increase their health span, have you know less suffering in their lives. You know, impact a lot of people around you. So it's it's been very rewarding and, and gratifying, and I think I also like the complexity of it. Uh, maybe we have more complexity than we need, but. I like to say that when medical, we're, you know, just like these iPhones are complex devices with a simple interface. You know, I like to say we're trying to own the complexity of healthcare on behalf of our members. Let us bear that burden. We're trying to do that for our providers. There's a lot of burnout in providers. 64% of family practitioners show signs of burnout, 50% of all physicians. We have 97% retention with our providers. 70% of our providers are women. We try to have flexible hours if they're for example, having children, maybe you go work virtual for a while and then you could come back and work in the office. So, you know, to me it's there's a lot of problems in healthcare, but at its at its core, it's about helping and serving people. I
2: know early in your career you worked for the legendary Bert Zimmerle at, I believe, Memorial Herman.
1: That's right. And
2: he's been the longtime CFO at Intermountain Healthcare. It's obviously a world-renowned health system. Talk to me a little bit about mentorship for you as a young professional. Were there People like Bert, who kind of took you under their wing, and you know, what role did that play in you developing this career?
1: Yeah, he, huge role. So I have the utmost regard and and uh, admiration and affection for for Bert, and we're still close and in in touch. So, you know, what
2: percentage I, of time is he giving you shit versus giving you advice? Because it's it's fifty fifty for for many <laughs> people, right?
1: <laughs> well, I'd say at, at at the core with Bert and with other great people I've had the good fortune to work with, it's mostly learning by doing and giving you opportunities to do it. So Bert and I worked at Memorial Herman. Herman was a teaching hospital that merged with Memorial, a community system. I came in as director of business development working for Bert. We were buying hospitals, building the, the, the Memorial Herman system, and then Herman had a big... Uh, medical group that was not doing so well and and Bert and I were really assigned to that project. And that's really where I got to cut my teeth with Bert. And you know, what was so great is it was mentorship by doing. He put great faith and trust in me and treated me as a colleague, as he did everybody, as I think as he always does, he has such great passion for what he does. You know, Bert literally is cracking up as he's kind of he truly enjoys what he does, and yeah. I think that's certainly rubbed off on me. I feel the same way, I, f- I love what I do, I feel very fortunate. I've always taken interns, residents, fellows, young people and like, go in there, go do it. People are, as I always say, you know, assume people are smart and good intentioned and give them the opportunities, and you know, a lot of them will rise and, and do great things. And we see that at Went Medical, we have a lot of amazing talent many young folks have come
2: in haven't even been exposed to healthcare, and are now running big parts of our organization i want to dive into optum steve knows that we often talk about the impact of the amazons and the googles and the apples and and all of these high profile companies on healthcare. but the two that i'm most interested in honestly are, are optum and walmart and i want to just get your opinion on both of them optum you work there can you give us just an insight into what it's like to work at optum it's combined with united healthcare it's a couple hundred billion dollar company what i find stunning about optim is they both compete with and sell products and services to virtually every health plan in the country and almost every health system in the country and yet they are a massive health plan and they are a massive care delivery business i was
1: privileged to to get to work under steve hemsley and larry renfro and dave wickman and the whole great leadership team these are wonderful really super smart super committed super hardworking leaders and the organization is filled with extremely talented mission driven people and i think what the organization has done over a long period of time you know um everybody sees you know change or success and says aha they just did something but this has been you know, a long march, yeah. This is a long march of understanding that there is a lot of room and opportunity to leverage data and analytics and services to improve healthcare. And initially thinking about it from a health plan perspective, and if you will, united healthcare through the years, building up capabilities around claims and analytics and, and episode treatment groups and groupers and care management. And then over time building that into Optum saying, wow, there's a whole set of resources here that could help as Optum says, make the health system work better for everyone. So serve all the key stakeholders and frankly leverage that investment, not just across one health plan, but across the entire healthcare ecosystem. And that's,
2: you know, ultimately what's emerged in Optum. If you were a health system or you are a health plan, which one of those entities is more concerned about Optum as a unique and substantial competitive
1: threat? I don't really look at it that way. I mean, some organizations might. I mean, Optum has services in you know, almost every hospital, you know, whether it's coding or revenue cycle or ICD-10 or population health analytics. Um, it's obviously acquired a lot of companies as well as,
2: but they do Amir, but my point is they also are buying physician groups in every one of those markets. They have urgent care in many of those markets. They have ambulatory surgical centers in many of those markets. And if you take those three assets without massive real estate, you know, debt to have big hospitals, they are a legitimate player in the care delivery space, even though they're selling all of this technology to the companies that they're competing with, right?
1: Oh, that's true, and that was one of my responsibilities for a period of time when I was there. But, you know, look, these urgent care and surgery center chains were already there. They were already started, they were already in the market. You know, those investors were gonna have some exits on those things anyhow, so I'm not sure, practically speaking, how really different that is. Obviously Optum has resources and tools and analytics, but I'd say that the general thing for health systems, it's, it's not Optima United, or One Medical for that matter, is there's gonna be more care moving to the outpatient arena and there's a march towards value-based care and consumer-driven care. And so if you're in any business and you're not thinking about those things, then you're kind of missing maybe a big part of where the future direction is in healthcare. And being an ex-health system person, I think health systems are absolutely
2: thinking about those, those things. And then last question, not on Optum, I will drop Optum because Steve starts to snooze on these, but like, you're not gonna answer this question directly, but like, why does Walmart not buy one medical?
1: I'm not gonna answer that question directly.
2: Okay, so make a case for, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a logical partnering, right? I mean, they've got real estate in all these markets, they probably touch, I mean, you're touching 1,100 employers, but they touch every employer in the country in one form or another. Yeah, I, I really can't
1: comment on kind of okay. any of the other uh, partners. I gave it a shot. In it was a good, try.
2: I gave
0: it that a was shot. A, that, was a, that was a question after a question. Yeah, did I, I, I gave it a shot. I'll He's, take good, this He's good. He's good. He's on message. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. You're, I mean, 20 years as a health system, exec, and then you go to the evil empire, i.e., Optum. You know, least people's perception. Like, I'm just curious. What one? Why did you make that switch? And two. Is this sort of payer-provider dynamic as, you know, did you get a lot of shit from your colleagues and is that fair? Does that, does that exist now that you've been on the other side?
1: Well, I've been very privileged to work at great organizations and I had no intention really of leaving Stanford and I happened to meet Steve Hemsley, who at the time was CEO, yeah. and uh, then got to meet Larry Renfro and they said, come work for us. And I said, no, what are you, crazy? I'm not going to leave. And then you know, what got me excited and what ultimately gets me excited about being at One Medical is how do we transform healthcare at scale? And so maybe by being at the fourth largest company in the U.S., that's a pretty big lever. That's a little different than being in an amazing transformational, but yet regional health system. That was interesting. And and similarly, what frankly had got me excited about One Medical initially and excited to be there now is, you know, we kind of know what's broken. We don't go upstream in a accessible primary care model and we're not leveraging tech. And here's a model that does that and seems to be able to do it anywhere in the country. So in the next phase of my career, I'm like, well, let's try to transform healthcare. This march towards greater consumer driven care, greater value driven care, thinking about longitudinal chronic care and how we manage great patient experience and total cost of care. I was seeing was probably going to be innovated elsewhere, and that seemed like an exciting opportunity to pursue.
0: And just the second part of the question, I mean clearly there is in our industry a divide between payer and provider. I assume some of your former colleagues, because it was not expected that you were gonna leave from Stanford, I assume some of your colleagues sort of raise their eyebrows and go, oh my gosh, Amir's going to the evil empire. Why does that divide exist Like, as, as, since you've been there? Do you think that's fair, that that schism exists in our American healthcare system?
1: Well, I mean, Certainly in the Optum, I, you know, you could argue we had care delivery and all these other things. So we were sitting in a services. You played both sides of the fence. Services world. Obviously we were connected to United Health Group and kind of sister company with, with United Health Care. I mean, there's obviously a natural divide or tension. If you're all else equal in a hospital, you're negotiating against the health plan and you know, one Rates wants matter. to get yeah. paid more and one wants to pay less. And so, but you know, there's a lot more convergence of people and team. You know, my chief strategy officer came from the health plan world and my health system world, I hired health system people when I was at Optum. You obviously have very large health systems with health plans. We
2: talked about Intermountain and others. Do you ever see launching and building your own health plan for members of One Medical? Well, you know, what is a health plan? I mean, we
1: take capitated risk. We influence where people are referred to, we sign up and enroll members, we sell to employers. So you could argue we already have some of those functions. So I think over time, you know, the definition of what's a plan, we have a plan, we have sales, we have members, we have membership fees, we have client services reps, we have a network, we take risk. And then just the question is how much and at which points along that continuum does one go Go deeper. But there is a lot of challenge in managing broader networks, in taking full risks, and in managing large customer accounts, in managing out of area. And so health plans, you know, take that risk and have those skills. Sounds like
0: they may become a health plan and they may get acquired by
2: Walmart, too. answer your question. So, last question. <laughs> last question. Um, you sitting across the table from you, and I've known you for a while, you look like you're about 32. But given your career, you're older than that. But congratulations, like, so it's know. unbelievable. Like, <laughs> your career has not aged you. Um, so One Medical, at some point in time, I will attribute this to David Singer, who is one of your board members and an investor at Maverick. And I, I said, is there a portfolio company that you've invested in that you think could be in the Fortune 100 or the largest? And he said One Medical could be that company. So If that's the case, you have a long run at One Medical. If not, where do you see your next phase of your career going? Do you see, you're obviously going to shepherd One Medical to an outcome, but do you see going back to, you know, the Stanford's and the UCLA's of the world need the level of innovation and insight that you're bringing to One Medical to change that industry. That industry has to change. Do you see going back and running a large kind of preeminent institution or do you see staying in the world of venture, private equity backed companies?
1: Well, I'm thrilled to be at One Medical and I see myself at One Medical and I see ourselves transforming healthcare at scale. And, you know, we're already in seven states and we can do this in- 50. Yeah, absolutely. And potentially beyond. And there's wonderful people at the institutions that I used to be privileged to serve. But one of the things we are doing is we're partnering with health systems. We're partnering with health plans. We obviously engage with importers. So we see ourselves working with them. You know, as you see convergence in the healthcare ecosystem, we want to work with them. We don't own hospitals. We don't have specialty organizations. Uh, we need those. We don't have all the capabilities of health plans. We need those. So we see ourselves being kind of disrupting healthcare without being disruptive. I think that's why, it's one of the reasons why I think we can be so impactful because we know how the healthcare ecosystem works. We can transform it, but we could fit within it. It's back to your question on competition. Sure, we compete with all those folks, but we also, we're probably greater collaborators than competitors in that regard.
0: I think we all want to have the career that
1: Amir had and looked,
0: looked like, like Amir. It. I know. We, you and I look really weathered. We'd I would like, so weathered. Yeah, yeah. I think My that's goodness. a takeaway. So, what am I so doing so wrong? He might get acquired by Walmart. <laughs> He might become a health plan, and he's a much more accomplished and better looking guy than us.
1: There we go. <laughs> what a career. Well, <laughs> you guys are very, very uh, <laughs> over generous there. But, um, no, it's it's a privilege being here with, with both of you all today, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks It's for, great
2: to spend the time with you, Mayor. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to A Healthy Dose. Please subscribe through iTunes, and if you have any suggestions for topics or guests, email the guys at steve at bvp.com or trevor at oxyanpartners.com.